So we're in Psalm chapter 30. We're focusing on the Psalms here in July. And if you've looked at the reading, if you're doing our daily reading, you know that uh, we're going through 55 Psalms in 31 days and four sermons. And there's no way to exposit all of that. So we're really hitting some high points. I hope you're doing your daily reading, your family devotions. I hope you're memorizing Psalm 8. Uh, but I want to give you some tools for how the book of Psalms can be really a blessing to you every day of your walk with the Lord from here through the end. Uh, we talked about it a little bit last week, and I shared with you that the book of Psalms should really give us the box top to living the Christian life. I had a puzzle last week, and I talked about how all the pieces of the puzzle individually don't make much sense, but when you look to the box top, you see how all of those pieces fit together. And sometimes we go through difficulties of life, and it's hard to know how to live life spiritually, how to live life as a faithful Christian. Well, here's the answer to that question. Just read the book of Psalms. Because whatever you're going through, somebody in the Psalms was going through the same thing and we can peer over their shoulder, so to speak, and we can see how they lived out the Christian life. If you're happy, read the book of Psalms. You, you see the prayers of those who are happy. If you're angry, if you're seething, if you're lonely, if you're discouraged, if you're frustrated, if you're stressed, if you're depressed, Read the book of Psalms because all those things were experienced by the psalm writers and you're able to see how they lived out their Christian life even in the midst of some difficulties. And so the book of Psalms becomes the box top for the Christian life. Now today I want to talk to you from the book of Psalms about how to meditate on the Psalms. I, I think the Psalms, well I'm going to show you in a moment how they are pure gold to us they are sweeter than honey for us if we will learn to meditate on the Psalms. But I think most people, they hear the word meditate and, and they just don't understand what we're talking about. Because the word meditate, meditation, uh, has a completely different meaning today than it did uh, in, in Bible times. Uh, I, I looked up this morning, I, I won't take the time to read them to you now, uh, but I looked up several definitions online for how to meditate. What is it to meditate? And, and, and essentially, all the definitions say this. To meditate means to empty your mind of all thought, take the contents out of your mind, and then allow yourself to be influenced by nothing. So just come to the place where you have a blank slate. There's nothing in your mind. There's no influence that's pushing on you. And supposedly that'll make you calm, stable. I've got a whole list of things. Help you overcome stress, make you live longer, be relaxed. All kind of things will help you if you do that. Well, I, I don't know if that's the case or not. Somebody else could speak to that. But I know that when the Bible talks about medication, medication, meditation, medication, uh, could be meditation, could be your medication. So when the Bible talks about meditation, it talks about exactly the opposite of what we think of today. Uh, meditation biblically is not emptying your mind. It is filling your mind with, with God's word. It's taking God's word and so saturating your mind and your heart with God's word that that's all you're thinking about. 
And then meditation, biblical meditation, is not being free from any influence. Biblical meditation is being fully under the influence of the Lord. And so it's the opposite of what people ordinarily think, but it is the key. It is the key to all kinds of things. It is, it is the key to learning the heart of God. It is the key to making real change in life. One of the most often asked questions of pastors is this, how can I change? I mean, people ask it a lot of different ways. They're talking about their marriage. They're talking about some sin or some addiction, but, but they often ask the question, how can I change? Well, l- listen to this verse. Joshua 1.8, this book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. It's talking about the word of God. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in what you do. This says that if you'll meditate on God's word, the very act of meditating will change your heart, will change your focus, will change your behavior How do you change? Meditate. Meditation is also the key to knowing the the wisdom of God. So if the number one question people ask pastors is how do I change, number two, and I don't know, these may be in a little different order for for many people, but, but number two, how do I know God's will? People ask that all the time. How do I know? Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I, should I eat this salad? People ask people all kinds of questions about the will of God. Well, how do you know the will of God? You meditate on scripture and you will know the heart of God and then you'll know the mind of God and the will of God. Uh, meditation also uh, brings peace, comfort, and the strength of the Lord. I'll show you that in a moment in verses that we read. But another question that people often ask pastors is, how do I overcome my stress, my anxiety, my depression? How do, I, how do I get past this? Well, the answer is meditate. Meditate on God's word. And through that, you'll know the joy, joy of the Lord. Let me read to you how the Bible describes the benefits of meditation in the very first psalm. And so you read this a few weeks ago, but Psalm 1, verse 1 says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. So uh, not the people who are focused on the things of the world, but the one whose delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. That's the person who's blessed. And then he says in the next verse, that person, Uh, The one who meditates on God's word is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And so joy, peace, decisions, wisdom, all this comes from meditating, meditating on God's word. And so I want us to take a few minutes and just focus on one verse in Psalm chapter 30. And I want to I want to show you how to meditate on that verse. I hate to pull back the curtain too far and give you the secret to preaching, but, but I will. Uh, really, we just go and we meditate on God's word for a week. We choose the passage. We just meditate on it. And then we come out here and we tell you what we, what we learned. And it really is that simple. It's that simple. Now, because it's a sermon, we might, you know, poke and prod it a little bit more and uh, look up look it up in an original language or see what somebody else has said about it through the generations. But, but basically a good sermon is just the overflow of somebody meditating on scripture. And so what I've done today 
is I've taken Psalm chapter 30, verse 5. I've meditated on it. I, and nothing wrong with these tools, but I haven't used a commentary. I didn't read it in Hebrew. I didn't look to see what the church fathers said about it or the Puritans said. I haven't seen what contemporary ministers have said. I've just taken the verse just like it's in your Bible, and I've spent some time meditating on this verse, and I want to show you what I've discovered. I want to model this meditation for you. Does that make sense? So what do they say if, a, if somebody's hungry, you give him a fish and you feed him for a day, or you teach him to fish and you feed him for a lifetime, well, I want you to come back to church on Sunday next week. But, but better than just sharing a sermon with you that comes out of my personal meditation, I want to model this. I want to teach you how to do this so that you can feed yourself. And you know what happens when we meditate? You, you know what the result is if you'll learn to do this? Well, let me read to you a verse from Psalm 19 that just sums it up. This is what will happen for you. Now, this is a verse that you're, you're familiar with. It's a verse we teach our children. It's a verse our kids learn in vacation Bible school, probably. It's a verse that people are familiar with, but I think most people have never experienced it. And the reason you haven't experienced it is because you haven't truly meditated on Scripture. So here's the verse, Psalm 19.10. Scriptures are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold. They are sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. What David said is, God's word is more valuable to me than gold. And it is sweeter to me than the sweetest desserts. Now most of us, let's just be honest, we'd rather have another thousand dollars than five more verses of scripture. But if we will learn to meditate on scripture, its value, we will recognize its value and it will be greater than gold. So let me meditate and model meditation on Psalm 30, verse 5. Let's just begin by reading the verse. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. Now, 11-point outline in your bulletin. I'm only going to hit a few of those. Don't panic. Uh, you'll get to eat lunch today. But I, I want to show you how I've meditated on this. And when I did so, in one verse, I found, without doing anything sophisticated or fancy, just praying through one verse, I, I found 11 truths. And I talked to God about these 11 truths. So number one, I found a declaration of God's hatred of sin. Now look at verse five with me. We're going to focus on this verse for the rest of our time this morning. The first three words, for his anger. His anger talks about the anger of God. So that calls me to ask the question, why is God angry? If you're going to meditate on this verse, you come to the word anger and you, and you've you must ask the question, why is God angry? And you know the answer to the question, why is God angry? God is angry because of sin. That's what makes God angry. That's what the Bible says from beginning to end. God is angry because of sin. Now, why is God angry because of sin? I'm meditating on this. I, I want to ask all the questions I can think of. Why is God angry? He's angry because of sin. Why is God angry because of sin? Why does sin bother God? 
Well, there are a lot of reasons, and I wrote them down when I meditated on this verse. First of all, God hates sin. God is angry about sin because it violates his standard. God has a standard of right and wrong. It's his standard. It's who he is. And when we violate that standard, it angers the Lord. God hates sin because it violates his own standard. And then I thought it also is hated by God. Sin is hated by God because sin hurts his people. Uh, my three daughters, if somebody or something is hurting my daughters, I will be angry about that. Well, God loves us way more than I love my daughters. And when we're hurt by something, God is angry about that hurts. Sin hurts us. God hates sin. Another reason why God hates sin is it destroys his creation. Another reason why God hates sin is because it led to the crucifixion of his son. There are all kinds of reasons why God hates sin. So when I look at verse 5, the first three words, for his anger, I think, why is he angry? Well, because of sin. Why is he angry at sin? Because of the reasons that I thought of. That's an important truth. And then, this is an important part of, uh, of, of meditating. Then I take the bright light of that truth and I shine it on my own life. So God hates sin. He's angry towards sin. Is there sin in my life then that God hates? And so I took that bright light of truth, God hates sin, and I shined it in the different parts of my life. Have I had some attitudes over the last week or two that God hates? Have I done some things that God hates? Have I looked at some things that God hates? Have I said some things that God hates? And I spent some time confessing sin because I recognize there are things in my life that God hates. I tell you, meditate on those first three verses for his anger. Now, the next thing I noticed is a reminder of Christ's work on the cross. So look at the rest of the first line. For his anger lasts only a moment. Now, what does that tell me? Well, he's angry because of sin, but his anger lasts only a moment. That tells me that there's a point at which his anger ends. What ends the anger of God towards sin? Do you know? What ends his anger? The work of Christ on the cross. That's what ended his anger. God's not angry at me because, because of what Christ has done on the cross. That Christ came and he took the penalty for my sin. He was my substitute. And God poured all of his wrath that was due to me. He poured it out on his son, Jesus Christ. And so his anger lasts only a moment. Isn't that such good news? I mean, there's every reason for God's anger at me to continue and to grow, but it lasts only a moment because of the work of Christ. It quenches the anger. It halts the anger of God. And so when I recognize that here in the first line of, of verse five, I just stop and thank the Lord for the cross. If I, if I weren't a child of God, here's where I would put my faith in Christ. If, if I had never trusted Christ and what he did on the cross as my only hope of salvation, here's where I would, I would put my trust. I would say, Father, I know I'm guilty of sin and I've tried to clean it up, but I'm, I have failed and every person has failed. But my only hope is what Jesus has done for me. And that's what brings your anger to an end. And I trust Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. 
But as a person who is a child of God, I paused here at the end of verse 5 only for a moment. It lasts only for a moment, and I praise the Lord for his forgiveness, meditating on Scripture. The third thing I noticed is a celebration of God's mercy. Celebration of God's mercy. So if you, if you look, for his anger lasts only for a moment because of the forgiveness that comes through Christ, but his favor. Not only, and this is why I was late, because I got too excited about this in the, when I was preaching in the, in the summit service. So I'll give you the low-key version. Not only has God given me forgiveness, which is way more than I deserved, but God has given me favor. Doesn't that just seem a little reckless? Doesn't that just seem like one step too far? I mean, God should never have forgiven me. There's nothing in me worth forgiving. If it weren't for Christ on the cross, that's my only hope. I cannot imagine why God would have done that. But God forgave me. And now he goes a step further and not only gives me forgiveness, but he gives me his favor. God loves me and wants to bless me. I can't even understand that. I guess the angriest I've been in the last 15 or 20 years of my life, a uh, bunch of years ago, I guess 10 or 15 years ago, my wife would remember specifically, but I, uh, we had a man in, in our church, actually was in our church, he uh, was a man I, I, I met and I shared the gospel with him and he received Christ and I came into our church, became, he and his wife became good friends with me and my wife and uh, some other people that we just loved dearly in that friend group. He was in my home um, every week, every couple of weeks. And growing in his faith, it seemed, but what I didn't know is that behind the scenes, this young Christian businessman, politician, uh, this, uh, this young man had chosen to follow some aberrant theology, some different view of God than what our church believed and what I believe the Bible taught. And behind the scenes, and he never shared it with me, just he was chasing after this uh, other theology. And he ended up roping some other people in with him. In fact, there was a staff member uh, that he was meeting with and trying to get this staff member to follow in this uh, uh, strange, uh, strange theology. And I didn't know about any of this. It goes on for a year. And then one day this man and, his, and the staff member came to see me and said, listen, pastor, we just don't believe in God like you believe in God. And so we're leaving and we're going to start another church where we believe God completely differently. And we're going to take as many people as we can uh, when we go. And they ended up taking a lot of very new Christians that weren't well established in their faith. And and they started another church and they led people away from the Lord. The church imploded in a year. Their lives all imploded in a year, just as you would expect. But I was angry. I wasn't so much angry about me and the lies to me. Uh, it didn't you know, essentially impact our church or the health of our church, but it, 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 it hurt these people in our church and our community and I was, I was angry about it. I mean, as angry as I can remember ever being. Well, I forgave him. Uh, it took a while, probably longer than it should have. Uh, I said I forgave him pretty early, but it was a month or two before I 
stopped seething in anger at what this man and, and this other man had done. But I forgave him. And I really didn't give it much more thought, hadn't thought about it in years and years, in fact, until two, two years ago, football season, we were in Fort Worth, my wife and I attending a ball game, at football game at TCU, and somehow my wife found his wife on social media or vice versa, he was at the football game. And so I didn't see him, and it was a stadium full of people, and I was one spot, he was in the other, I don't even know where he was, but he... Um, but he knew I was there. And so he asked if he could, uh, if we could go out for dinner that night, just celebrate old times. I thought, <laughs> celebrate old times. And I, I don't know, somebody will come correct me afterwards. Maybe I'm not being a very good Christian. But I, I thought about it uh, for an entire quarter of the football game. I mean, I was, uh, was revisiting my anger. And I thought, you know, I, I have forgiven him. I really have. I, uh, I don't wish him ill. I hope he has a great, flourishing, successful life and family. But I don't want to go and celebrate anything with this guy. I mean, I really, I don't even, I didn't even need to know he's here. And, um, and so I told him no. And here's, uh, here's my reasoning. And I'm going to get to scripture. Whether I was right or wrong, here's my reasoning. I gave him forgiveness. I didn't give him my favor. I wouldn't trust anything this man ever said ever again. Until we get to heaven, we can work out some things. But, but listen, God has given me forgiveness when I didn't deserve it. And then God, he is so unlike me and you. God has gone a step further and not only given me forgiveness, he has given me favor. God loves me. God wants to bless me and honor me and show his kindness to me. That is one step too far. That is, that is such incredibly good news. And you see that right here in verse 5. For his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor, his favor. Celebrate God's mercy. Romans 5, 8, God proves his, love, his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so when I found that in this verse, I praised the Lord, I celebrated not just his forgiveness, but his mercy to me. And then I want to share just one more of these and then we'll move on. But there's an announcement. The next thing I saw was an announcement of God's faithfulness. So look again at verse five. For his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor, a lifetime, a lifetime. How long do the mercies of God last? This favor that I have, how long does it last? It lasts a lifetime. And that's such good news. And I don't think many people believe that. Listen, church, I don't think you believe that, okay? And here's why. Because I hear so many people say, I've lost God's favor because of what I did last week. I run into people in town. I say, I hadn't seen you in church in a while. Oh, I can't come back to church. You don't know what I did last year. I, I, I can't read my Bible because of, of the sin that's in my life. I can't pray. I can't do this. I have lost the favor of God. Why are there thousands of members of this church that never come here Many times because they feel like they have lost the favor of God. But how long does the favor of God last? Verse 5, but his favor is for a lifetime. 
Listen to this, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. But his mercies, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. His favor lasts a lifetime. When I came across that, verse 5, meditating on verse 5, listen, it set me on fire. I, not, not only has God forgiven me, not only has, has he shown me kindness, but his kindness lasts a lifetime. And so I meditated on this verse. And at the end of this, this verse was for me more valuable than gold and sweeter than honey. With your head bowed and eyes closed. There's so much in the book of Psalms that's just a treasure chest that's left unenjoyed and unappreciated in our lives. So here's my challenge this morning. It's not all the truth I've just shared from this verse. It's that you would go and pick a verse. And you don't need to be an expert in anything. Just pick a verse and spend 10 minutes on the verse and find the treasure that God has for you there. Father in heaven, I'm thankful for the treasure that is mine in the book of Psalms when I'll simply pause to meditate on these great truths. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.